Hello, welcome to the T-Tech Podcast. My name is Tim Healy. I'm the managing editor of thetruthaboutcars.com. T-Tech.com, also spelled out thetruthaboutcars.com. And then I'm here today with Matt Posky and Matthew Guy, two of our intrepid writers. We're going to be talking about Mazda, Honda, Tesla, Ford, and more today. We're talking about price cuts, EVs, future strategy for Mazda, and fuel cells for Honda. So uh, how are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Doing pretty good, Tim. Excellent. Let's start with Mazda and the CX-90, um, which is kind of the new flagship for the brand, or at least flagship crossover. And we'll, we'll go from the CX-90, which I saw in person, uh, was it just last week? I believe <laughs> no, it was the week before. Um, so I saw it in person recently, and then we will go from there and kind of talk about the brand's larger strategy. So for those who don't know, the CX-90 is a three-row crossover, and it's going to replace the CX-9, and it'll be a little bit more in price. So the CX-9 currently bases for about $38,000, and the top trim level is about $10,000 more than that. Um, the CX-90, is we don't have pricing information yet, but what I was told on the event was that it'll probably be around $46,000. Actually, it wasn't what I was told. It's kind of just basic. It's more of an educated guess based on the conversations they did have, no one actually gave me a number. But uh, again, I think it's going to be about $46,000 to start. And then my guess would be high 50s to close to $60,000 for a fully loaded model. And there are two models. There's a gas engine and a plug-in hybrid. No pure EV yet. No uh, no parallel series hybrid. The only hybrid is a plug-in. Those are the two engines. So it's, I don't know, it's a three-row crossover. Got to replace the CX-9 as the, kind of the flagship vehicle for the brand. Um. I believe it'll be the most expensive Mazda currently on sale. I think I'm not sure off the top of my head, but I believe that's the case. It'll definitely be in terms of styling and interior. They're going to aim to make it upmarket. The The upper trim interiors look very upmarket and the styling looks very upmarket and classy. Now I saw it in person. You guys didn't, but you guys have covered this, the car as much as I have, uh, as much as anyone else has at T-Tech. And we've probably we've probably all seen it online by now. So I wanted to kind of get your get your guys' opinion on it first before I before I had to say what I had to say. It looks like the CX nine, only a little little box here. And I mean the stats are okay. I think uh, you said what did you say the upper tier pricing was going to be? This is just my guess, my speculation, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say probably uh, between fifty five thousand and sixty thousand dollars. Okay, I thought I remembered reading something about it being like like the premium plus. I think that's the top tier was like just over sixty thou, maybe like sixty one somewhere around there. So it's not um, not wildly expensive, but it's not super cheap either. And it kind of follows with Mazda's theory of being uh, sort of premium. Like I feel kind of bad for Mazda because they. <sighs> they have this weird global strategy where they're like, Oh, we, you know, we got to hit all these markets, but they don't have like a ton of like money to develop lots of different stuff. You know, they're kind of lingering with like older engines. Like, I don't know how many CX threes you guys drove around, but that was like a nice car that had like a really kind of lousy engine. I remember it's um, been a while since I drove one, but that does sound about right. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I don't spend any time like the, the higher trim ones, but I'm always in like the low crappy ones. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, it just wasn't like it was, it's not even close. Like this CX-5 is so much nicer, but they're in like that weird position. And it makes me wonder like, how, how are they going to balance this kind of bigger crossover with like their 
stated desire to make everything like have a lot of character and be sporty, which I think turns some people off. And they're in that weird price range where they're kind of like, oh, we're sort of we're sort of like an Acura or, you know, Alexis, which I don't know if that's the place you want to be as an automaker. But overall, the car looks okay. Um, What's the big engine? A 3.3 liter turbo? I believe right. that's that. I believe that's right. Let me double check yeah. our, our yeah, three point three liter yeah. inline six, uh, two hundred and eighty horsepower. Uh, I've got three forty. Okay, for the six, I yeah, might be so... looking at. I might be looking at old info. Yeah, no, I think I... they updated to three forty. Yeah, so... I think they're going to offer. They're going to offer both. From just looking at, actually, there was something here that just came out. This is today, on the Mazda site. Um, and there's going to be two. So you're both right. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, the preferred, and then they have the preferred plus. Right? So we, yeah, and they're going to call it. So those are the different trims it's saying, and there's going to be the three point three turbo, the three point three turbo S, which sounds like a Porsche, and then the plug-in hybrid. So the turbo was going to make the lower horsepower number that you said, two eighty. Okay. And the Turbo S is going to make the 340, the higher horsepower that you said, Tim. So that's, I mean, it must just be a tune or some sort of difference. And that's all on premium gas. because They didn't talk to us about the Turbo S at the, at the unveiling. So I should probably update that article because I missed Isn't that. Isn't that interesting? Uh, that's, that's, that's on me. Um, no, no, no. At, this, this is brand new. Well, yeah. And actually, I just checked. They have a release that just went out today that I didn't even notice. Didn't, I didn't see. Pricing is actually out now, too. So we know the pricing. And I was a little bit high on my initial estimate. The the low end, the base will be thirty nine five. So that's about five thousand, six thousand cheaper than I thought. That's pretty. It's pretty in line with the CX nine. It is, and I mean thirty nine five, you know, plus freight and whatever. And inline sixes, in my experience, have been that, that's at least that's a unique selling point. That's a unique proposition that they have. And there there there's one press shot of that car, and and. Tim, you've seen it in person, so you can correct me on this, but it's from it's front three-quarter view, down low, the car's in purple, and just real quick, you look at it, and it's like, oh, Jaguar F-Pace. And I've had people yell at me and say, you're crazy. Oh, but in yeah, that, you're right. In that one particular color from that one particular angle, um, it's almost like, um, almost like the Jag F-Pace, which is not an awful thing. I, I don't know if I got that sense from it, but it wasn't... Oh, okay. I don't think you're crazy for thinking it either. I, I could see. <laughs> no, you think I'm crazy for other reasons. <laughs> well, Which sure, is fine. That's, that's probably true. But um, no, it definitely. I, I didn't get that, but okay. I could okay. see where you're coming from. Uh, depending on what angle you were standing at, I could totally yeah. see that. And I haven't seen the picture you're talking about, but I, I, I'd have to look at it. But okay, um, it definitely is sporty in terms of looks. It. it I was kind of thinking down market Genesis a little bit. Um, it's a little sportier than, than the CX-9, the outgoing CX-9. It's, you know, it's a little sportier than the Kia Telluride, which is going to be probably one of its two main competitors, the other one being the Hyundai Palisade. And I think sure. where I see similarity is to the Palisade. Uh, not directly, but I, there, it's got, it has more urbane sort of city looks, uh, for lack of a better term, yeah, yeah. as opposed to the more rugged Telluride. And I'm actually looking at Mazda's site now. I think I see the picture you're talking about. It's... The CX-90 on the freeway with LA in the background? Yes, yes. From the passenger side? Yeah, I can see the the F-Type resemblance from that angle. So you're not completely crazy. Um, I think the F-Type is definitely sportier looking, for sure. Yeah. And when you see one in person, you, you, you're more likely to think that's kind of a sports sports crossover, which, God, it pains me to say. 
But um, the CX-90 is, I think, more sporty looking than some of its competition. So, and, and like, as Matt Posky said, that turns some people off, but it'll also, I think, appeal to some people. I think a lot of people like how, I mean, I really like how Mazda styles its vehicles, and I like driving some Mazda products, but I just don't, they're just kind of weird. Like, they all, everything they make rides just a little harder than the competition, and I just don't know if that's what people want. I mean, I know their sales went up uh, last last year, and um, you know things aren't going like perfect. But they're not going terribly for them. But like you're saying, like the city, it has the city looks, and that's always where I see uh, these cars. Like right. anytime I go into an urban area, all of a sudden there's like a million more Mazdas than there would be otherwise. Um, speaking of city looks and city owners, uh, do we know the towing? capacity for this or if it comes I, does it come with a towing package it, i can look real quick i was told at the I'm event looking. that it, I can it is that it is gonna be more than cx90 on the preferred plus only is that right or is it both the preferred and the preferred it doesn't, plus? I, I don't i didn't see obviously you got to go up trim to get it it just has maximum capacity of let's see if i can scroll down here Okay. I, yeah, it says it says it on the preferred and the preferred plus you can you can get yeah. it with a five thousand mm-hmm. towing capacity. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. As okay, so that's not that's not bad. No, that's very competitive, and as much as what most people in that market in that demographic are going to um, tow yeah, anyway. I, I can't imagine. I don't think I've ever seen a Mazda that wasn't like an old beat up <laughs> something that you know someone had to have for their only car <laughs> towing anything ever. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like a twenty, a twenty-year-old uh, 20 like uh, Mazda three, maybe something. Like, yes, box with a <laughs> with a very sketchily installed hitch. Yep. Yeah. Right. Out of chicken wire. <laughs> well, it always fascinates me how Mazda and other men. This is not unique to Mazda, but um, unlike some of the domestic um, brands, they have. It says here they have 11 different varieties of the CX-90 between the different trims and the different um, powertrains. So instead of just adding an option to an XLT at, at Ford, you just move up to the different trim to get more features that you want. Don't just add the towing package to the select. You bump yourself up, like you said, to the preferred or the preferred plus. Right. Or premium plus, which sounds like a box of crackers. Um, <laughs> Saltines, premium Saltines, plus. baby. Yeah, overall, I mean, I think I think it'll be a winner. Like, they're lo- I was really surprised. I haven't spent too much time um, in the CX nine, but I thought it turned out to be a pretty good vehicle. Um, and if you are someone who wants like a bigger car that you know can haul some people, but isn't like a total snooze fest, which most which most crossovers really are. Like, I could see someone wanting to go over to Mazda. But I just, I don't know, like I said, I don't know how they're going to execute this. I don't know how, you know, we don't know how it's going to drive yet. And that's, if that's the really key. what people want. Yeah, that's the key. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the Palisade, which coincidentally I had just before I gave it back to the press fleet the day before I flew out to LA to drive, to see the CX-90. And the Palisade is not the sportiest thing in the world, but it's, it's I, I don't want to say fun to drive because it's a little bit too too nice, but it's not boring. Uh, it, it has just enough pizzazz so you, you don't feel like you're being punished for driving a crossover 
And I, I imagine the CX-90 will be sportier than that. So if they can get it sportier than that, they'll be in good shape. Um, and, and just to circle back on pricing real quick, I did take a quick look. It, I am I was almost exactly spot on with the high-end pricing. It'll The top trim will start at 60, a little under $60,000, $59,500. Actually, I'm oh. sorry, $59,950. That's with destination plus. and every, everything or not without? Uh, let's see what their little legal footnote says. We're doing I'm this sure without, here. It's not. That's without. You are correct. Okay. Yeah. If there's a legal footnote, it's definitely without. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Plus additional dealer markup, etc. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see that how much. That we've seen everywhere. We talked about that on the previous podcast. Yeah, oh, I hope it ends soon. It seems like it's starting to settle down a it's little bit. It's starting to but... wind down for sure. So That it is. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come right back to talk about Tesla prices. And we're back here in the T-Tech Podcast. My name is Tim Healy, the Managing Editor of T-Tech, along with Matthew Guy and Matt Posky, two of our team. We have been just we were just discussing Mazda, the CX-90. We threw it to break real quick so we could uh, kind of stay on time and topic here. And now we're going to move on to the Tesla price cuts and Ford following suit, and then Volkswagen not following suit with the ID4. And talked a little bit about you know, what's going on there? Is it a market thing? Is is Tesla being punished by Elon Musk's activities at his other companies? Is it just that the auto market is kind of out of whack in general? Is it inflation? Is it people trying? Is it the fact that cars cost way too much and maybe Tesla realized, hey, we should bring it back a little bit? So let's talk about that a little bit. Or maybe it's just that as EV technology gets a little bit better, the pricing can come down. So let's uh, let's discuss. Well, what models are we talking what models uh, are we t- talking about specifically? Because didn't Tesla just raise the price on the Model Y? Well, it's been a little bit of both. I believe they lowered them on one car and raised on the other. I mean, I Tesla always—they're always doing this. Like they're always tweaking. I mean, most of the automakers are changing prices on the reg, but Tesla's infamous for it. Uh, I think the Model Y stuff is literally just them trying to get it as close to the um, uh, the EV price cap for the tax credit that could be as well i would almost guarantee that that's that's its main that's its main move and like ford did the same thing with the lightning in the maquis as well Mm. you're you're 100 right matt i mean they're just i feel with the model y getting it to whatever it needs to be and if to qualify for the tax credits and then if (laughs) if the tax credit threshold if that limbo bar changes a little bit goes up or down i think you'll see the model yep. y yo-yo along with it i think that's going to happen with a lot of a lot of these models i, I think yes. i think smart companies will try to stay under they'll try to undercut everybody else or they'll try to make their vehicle be like oh it's we're so premium that it doesn't even matter this is so fancy that you don't, you're, you don't need the money back um <laughs> but yeah, i think a lot of the other automakers are just going to try to keep everything like right on the line so they can still, uh, you know, get the tax credit and make as much money as possible on top of that, um, which falls into my uh, theory that uh, a lot of regulations are sort of stupid. But anyone who's <laughs> read any of my articles knows that that's, that's my re- unrelenting opinion on the matter. Yeah, I, I'm not. 
anti-regulation on anti-dumb regulation. And I think a lot of people in the government don't understand the auto industry, but that's a whole topic for another day. Um, Mr. Guy, what were you about to say? I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, you didn't. I was just thinking that because I think we're talking about this and everyone's talking about this, who's has their ear to the ground in this industry, because it was such a significant change in MSRP. It wasn't, you know, 500 bucks. It was, you know, double digit percentage. And mm-hmm. some people felt like they were left holding the bag. Um, if they had bought recently in November and December before these price cuts, a, they spent more than people now are spending. B, you know, their resale value might have gone down a little bit. Um, they were uh, at CarMax. I think it was CarMax. Pretty sure it was not Caravana. Um, they wholesale chopped many thousands of dollars off the used ones that they had because suddenly their used was more than a new, right? So yeah. it, it, had, yeah. it had, you know, butterfly repercussions across a whole bunch of different areas. I didn't think butterfly affected this. We need to talk about today, but that, that's a good reference. Um, <laughs> just to clarify what, what it was earlier, the Model Y prices were increased, but Model 3 were cut. Right. So the, the cheaper entry-level EV, entry-level being... A bit of a misnomer there because even the model, even the model three is not that inexpensive relatively to non EVs. Um, but that was, that was where the, uh, the price cuts were. I also think that the industry doesn't really know. I mean, we know that like battery prices and material costs are pretty volatile right now. So that probably plays at least some factor. But I think the industry is, is just kind of thinking like, what, what exactly can we get away with? Like, how are these things uh, like what's the acceptable like price range? And the there's all this kind of hammond and hawing based on availability and what the automakers think they can get away with. And then you have the EV tax credit stuff, which is kind of weirdly up in the air. Like, I mean, the Treasury has is issued some guidance, um, but they're still kind of dragging their feet on other stuff. So it's kind of a weird time uh, if you're trying to find any kind of consistent pricing or trying to project what EV pricing is going to be tomorrow. And like, just like uh, Mr. Guy said, like resale values are kind of all over the place and unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And I would be pre- if I, if I bought a car from any of these manufacturers <clears throat> and then, you know, they just slash the price all of a sudden uh, I would be a little bit bitter, I think as well. Oh, sure. What I, so what I, I also wonder too, if and I am far from a pricing expert, I've never worked for an OEM, never been that, that kind of department didn't do well in economics in college, but I, I do have to wonder if, if um, some of this is also just feeling out what the market is for EVs, not just in terms of materials costs and how much it costs to manufacture the vehicle, which obviously plays a part. Yeah. Just what people also, will tolerate. Exactly. Yeah. What people will spend, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot. I think we, I think we know by now kind of, if you're, if you're an automaker and you're producing a new Toyota Camry or Honda Accord competitor, a mid-size internal combustion four-cylinder sedan, you probably have a fairly decent idea of the price range on that within a few thousand dollars one way or the other. You, you know where you'd price it. And maybe you'd price it a little low to undercut your comp- competitors or price it a little high because maybe it's nicer upscale materials. But you, the range would be pretty pretty well pretty well known. But you know, the Mach-E comes in at a high price. The, the Tesla stuff comes in... They're in luxury. They're all in luxury car territory, and but they're not necessarily luxury cars in terms of you know, the Teslas are kind of there, and the Machi sort of the upper trims are pretty nice. But you know, you know, we're trying to figure out are these luxury cars, are they sports cars, are they kind of more family vehicles, more mainstream? And like you said, I think people 
just don't yet know where to price them. And then they still have to make up and they still need to make money based on what it costs to build the cars. And I think it may shake itself out over the next few years. And then of course, as we just talked about, there are all the extenuating circumstances, the tax credit, supply chain issues, the, the insanity of the market overall right now, you know, it's not a normal market to begin with. So that makes it even, tr- even trickier, but I just, I just have to wonder if some of this is just feeling out what, what would be quote unquote normal pricing. And in five years from now, there'll be a range that'll just sort of make sense whenever an automaker comes out with a new EV, that's a certain segment, you know what I mean? Just like there is with, you know, with with all the other segments, you kind of have a a range in your head. And if a car is priced too high or too low, it doesn't really seem to fit. Whereas with EVs, I think they're still trying to find their fit. Maybe I'm crazy. That's kind of, kind of what I was thinking just in the last few minutes here. No, I think you're, I think you're right. And Mm -hmm. also, I mean, a lot of these cars are supposed to eventually supplant like internal combustion uh, variants, but you would expect them to be kind of in line with that pricing too. If it's, if that's all going to end up happening, like you can't really be like, well, you know uh, you know, our, our base kind of midsize sedan, you know, was 35 and then we're going to sell an EV for like $20,000 more. That's not going to work for that company. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of like, trying to find that like middle area and you know what kind of customer you have and like you were saying like what's the to- what is going to be the tolerance long term and i i think the way the ev market's been and the way the overall market's been has made that exceptionally hard because we have like you said we have the ev tax credits influence things and then all the weird supply chain stuff and the wild markups like i mean this the last few years weren't a good uh benchmark you know tool for anything I've been paying attention to the car market for, you know, when I was in my teens, I didn't really care because I, all I just care about was what car was fastest, right? But <laughs> what, what car driver did, what car did the best in the car driver compare to? So I, I'm not going to talk about my teens, but when I was in my early 20s, I probably started paying attention a little bit to what was going on in the market, you know, right around 20 years old or so. And then, you know, you start kind of getting more and more familiar with it over the years, especially doing this for a living for the past uh, uh, almost 15 years now. Actually, I think it is 15 years. So, you know, um, where I'm going with this is that these this is the second craziest time that I've seen in terms of car car pricing, car value, and the other crazy time is pretty obviously the the 2008 financial collapse in the bailout era and all that stuff. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things where nothing feels right or normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Post bailout, there was a few years there where the, the market had mostly recovered. Uh, we were a little bit down from what it was before, but it was fairly healthy market in terms of units sold every year. And then the pricing sort of made sense for most cars. The, there weren't a lot of dealer markups unless you had something crazy like a, like a low production sports car or something like that or a collector or a future collector car. So, you know, there was some normalcy for about, I don't know, from probably from like the early 2010s as the market came out of the, the whole recession. And then, probably right up until COVID <laughs> and then it, it's been crazy again. So I'm kind of hoping that we'll return to what we consider normalcy, which in my view would be 15 to 17 million units sold a year pricing, not a lot of average dealer markups or I'm sorry, what's the not average dealer? Um, what's the A stand for? I, my brain just blanked on it, but uh, we talked oh, about additional. AD, yeah. additional. Thank you. We talk about it a lot. We um, once we get to the point where we're not seeing really not seeing additional dealer markups on relatively normal cars like a like a civic si or something um that'll kind of be another sign of normalcy 
And I think the third thing where we can kind of say, oh, well, you know, the used car market sort of, or the new car market, used car market is sort of stabilized when, when used car resale value gets to a point where it's not crazy high or crazy low. You know what I mean? I think we'll start seeing that. I hope this year, but maybe another year or two. Well, we'll see. I think there's an element in here too that we've never seen before of early adoption. I mean, with with technology and back in the eighties, if you were the first man you blocked out a VCR, you paid a lot for it, right? And then you can mm-hmm. get a cheap one in a couple of years from now. And in the nineties, you bought a home computer. It was outrageously expensive if you were the first one to yeah, get it. Absolutely. And that's not something we've had in cars not in my lifetime, right? Because yeah, the newest, greatest thing comes out, but at the end of the day, it was still an internal combustion car. Right. Exactly. It yeah. isn't, right? So that's a really good point. didn't really reinvent the wheel, but I mean, no. it was a big deal at the time. And yeah. diesel never took off, even even before the Volkswagen cheating <laughs> scandal. Diesel was just never... And you can't see me over You're here, right? obviously, because we're all, we're all remote, but I was nodding along with you because, you know, I, you're right. We haven't seen EV early adoption. And obviously, it's it's been a thing for a while now. You know, Tesla's been around since the late aughts so there there have been in the nissan leaf the first one it's been a decade or more since that car came out so there has been some early well, i mean if you want to if you want to go back like, like evs been. evs have technically been around since like the late 1800s well, well yeah <laughs> if you want to be that for stickity about it but what i mean is there hasn't been more, this big push to have yeah, you know, mass manufacturing more, yeah we're seeing more ev adoption because over the past four, three to four or five years, it's just they've become more and more mainstream. Whereas even ten years ago, you didn't have a lot of options, and the, and the options you did have didn't have a lot of range, or they were expensive or both. And with Tesla expanding their lineup, and with with Ford, Volkswagen, and others, uh, Chevy Bolt getting kind of Nissan, obviously getting more and more EVs out there on the market. You know, it's it's we're going to start seeing more early adoption as as there's more choice. Let's hope so. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just more choice too. It's also that some EVs are now more affordable. They're still expensive, most of them, but there's a, there's a few more the, that a well-off buyer can get their hands on, which yeah. I don't think was always the case. Absolutely. All right. If you guys don't have any more thoughts on Tesla price cuts and the state of the EV market in general, we'll take a quick break and then move back on to the next topic, which for today we're going to kind of go over Honda fuel cell strategy and fuel cells in general and i promise we will not get too techy or nerdy about it so we'll be right back on the t-tech podcast and we're back in the t-tech podcast my name is tim healy the managing editor of the truth about cars.com check us out at t-tech.com or spell it all out at truth about the truth about cars.com here with matt posky and matthew guy two of our writers and we are discussing we discussed Mazda earlier, talked about Tesla and EV pricing in the last segment, and now we're moving on to Honda and their fuel cell strategy. And we're going to talk just a little bit about it and keep it at high, kind of high level. To We don't want to get too technical about it and too into the weeds on that and get real boring and dry. But I sat through a presentation recently with Honda where they were talking about their, their fuel cell strategy. We also know uh, it's been reported widely and like, confirmed by the company that they're working on a fuel cell for this popular CRV crossover. So right now, there's only two fuel cells you can buy. One sold by Hyundai, one by Toyota. And I believe, I know the Toyota for sure, I believe the Hyundai as well. I believe they're only sold in California. And I, part of that is hydrogen fuel is difficult to find uh, outside of California. I, be, and I think the other reason is California is 
EV EV restrictions, or not EV restrictions, but California's fuel economy standards are stricter and make it a little easier for automakers to do their do kind of do their um, not testing, but sort of uh, trial balloons with a new technology in, in that state. So Honda did have a fuel cell, uh, the Clarity, if you remember, which they stopped selling in 2021. So now they're going to bring back the fuel cell for the CRV and then planning on launching by the end of 2024, which seems a bit ambitious. That's a year and a half from now. So let's, let's, you know, go from, let's see how, how Honda does with that. This will be built in Ohio. Uh, one of Honda's factories, probably the Marysville one. Um, and they're going to be working on General Motors on it. So it'll be a fuel cell EV. And Honda promises it will be less expensive than what was in the Clarity and more durable and offer better cobalt performance. So it all sounds good. We don't yet know if it'll be sold you know, nationwide or just in California, that sort of thing. Uh, for those who don't know about fuel cells, I'll just give you the high level view from what I, from what I understand. Hydrogen fuel cells basically use hydrogen to sort of kind of, I don't know how the process works off the top of my head. It's hard to describe, but basically they sort of, it's like an EV kind of with the, but hydrogen sort of fuels as opposed to, as opposed to electricity or gasoline and fuel cells are like an EV zero emission. Hydrogen is, hydrogen is a very abundant element, obviously. So, the, th- the thought process is if you can harness hydrogen, it- it'd be very clean in term- on both the emissions end and the production of materials and resources end. But the problem with that is for a variety of reasons, hydrogen is just a difficult fuel to work with and expensive. And the range on the fuel cells hasn't been great in terms of range be- between refueling. So there hasn't been a ton of uh, pr- progress in that area. We know that Hyundai is working on it. Uh, Toyota as well. I meant to say Toyota actually, because their Toyota's Mirai has been kind of the big, the big uh, effort there. So Hyundai and Toyota have been working on for sure, and Toyota's also kind of used as a fallback. We, we've t- we've talked about on T-Tech how, as a lot of automakers work on EVs, Toyota's sort of like, wait a minute, we're not sure about going all in on EVs, and they've, they've been working on parallel hybrids and plug-in hybrids, and also fuel cells, kind of trying to figure out the best. Uh, best technology going forward for, for zero emissions and low emissions. So long story short, it's kind of how fuel cells work. And it's interesting to see Honda joining in with a popular, with a version of it's one of its most popular cars. So we'll kind of see how, how that goes. But uh, the, the idea that the partner in general motors is also exciting. And I wanted to kind of pick your guys' brains and, and see what you guys think about fuel cells as an alternative to both EVs and internal combustion engines. I drove the Clarity one time, and I actually thought it was okay. And I thought it was cool to refill it, uh, refuel it with hydrogen because it has that sort of like uh, what I assume refueling a fighter jet is like, where like you have to <laughs> lock it down on yeah. the cap, and it gets compressed, and then the whole thing gets you know ice cold, you know super cold. Um, but I don't. None of this makes sense to me. Like I get why Japanese companies might want to do fuel cells because they have like a lot of hydrogen fueling stations in Japan range is less of an issue there. Um, Cause they don't drive as long of distances. And, but yeah, the reason like you only see hydrogen cars in California is because California is the, the only place in the country with, a, you know, a handful of other success, uh, exceptions that has enough like hydrogen fueling stations, like kind of in a nearby area to make it sort of useful, but you could never drive one of those cars you know, cross country. Mm. There's, there's, no there's just stations. not a, there's not enough stations to fuel it. 
Can I get my description of the uh, of how fuel cells work more or less correct? Correct me if I screw anything up. Yeah, it converts it converts the hydrogen into electricity, which thereby propels the cars. I mean, I'm not a a, a chemist, but there's yeah, nor am I. If you, if you couldn't tell, I'm, I'm there's an ion engineer. exchange and yeah, <laughs> electricity is created. <laughs> and then it the 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 only um the only uh thing that comes out of the tailpipe is is water vapor. Exactly right, right? and and I think whoever figures out storage of hydrogen is going to be the richest person the world has ever seen well that was the the, uh, jaguar ceo back in the day he was complaining that it's not it's not feasible because you lose so much um energy just transporting it around transporting it around yeah you're totally right if they can figure out how to store it and move it efficiently it's bingo and it's the literally the universe's well the known universe's most abundant element Yep. So it's not like there's a lack of it, but how do you harness like, They know how to harness it, but there's all these additional, and it just goes to show how much additional stuff, for lack of a better term, needs to needs to happen in order for something like this to fuel our vehicles. Yeah, okay, the, the eggheads and the people who are way smarter than me, they know how to put it into the clarity that you drove, right? And um, but there's all that supporting infrastructure and, and, and those things that are holding it back. And the, sometimes the best solution doesn't always win. Look at VHS and beta 40 years ago. Right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good example. So, right? I, I didn't know that with beta uh, max was so much better. And then years after both of them were defunct, someone yeah. actually showed me a beta max tape. And I was like, wow, like, this right? is like noticeably better. Yeah, I never um, used beta either. I'm it wasn't as convenient. To, yeah, no, it wasn't. I'm old enough to like remember hearing about it, but we always had a VCR at the house. Us too, right? But there's sound familiar, Matt. Right? You said, yeah, no, right, right. it's better, but it's not as convenient. Yeah, sounds Everybody like everybody's using VHS. Yeah, it's just like you can't. The hydrogen cars won't work if you know there's a refueling station. You know, once like every seven hundred miles. <laughs> Like, I don't know if you've seen a map for, like, the, the charging stations in the United States, but no. it's basically the coast, the, the West Coast, and then, you know, a, a handful dotted around the country until you get, like, to Texas. Wow. Yeah. Now, personally, I would love to see hydrogen work as a technology because it, it does seem like it would be very environmentally friendly, and it wouldn't be... Outside the inconvenience of charging of refueling, which hopefully is a problem that can be solved, you know, if, you, I've, if you've driven a fuel cell car, Matt, you drove the Clarity. I've driven the Hyundai, uh, the Nexo. I drove the Hyundai Nexo at. Oh, I drove that Grounds. one too. Yeah, yeah. I, drove, I drove the Nexo, which was okay. A little yeah, busy inside, was, but yeah, it's like driving an EV. It very much is like driving an EV, at least in my opinion. Yeah. It's very silent, but everything else is normal. You know, other than the fact there's no engine noise, which you also have with EVs, and it's mm-hmm. becoming more and more normal. It, it it doesn't drive, you know, you, if you didn't know anything about the car, but you knew how to drive, you can hop in and drive it. You put it in drive. It's like anything else. You turn it, you press a button to start it. It's just like, so, you know, the technology wouldn't be hard for consumers to adapt. In fact, in some ways it'd be easier than charging an EV at home. Um, if, if you could find a, you know, if you could find a way to have it like a gas station where you can just drive in and fill up. And yeah. I think that's the biggest problem with hydrogen is you just, it's just so hard to, it's just so hard to refuel the dang things, you know? I mean, they do um, have, there are regular gas stations that do have hydrogen, like for lack of a better term, pumps. I mean, it's all right. compressed gas, but, but they're um, just not around. 
but right they're really few so like most of the places are you know like <clears throat> big refueling stations where like there's like tanker trucks driving in and out all day and it's like i don't think the lady you know getting her groceries at whole foods is going to want to drive you know deep into you know what's effectively like a you know a natural gas kind of plant looking place be, to, to yeah. refuel her yeah. car that's a good yeah. point and, and yeah you, that's the you know convenience is is a big part of owning a car. I mean, people who aren't gearheads, and even sometimes when you are a gearhead, you just want to get in the car and get to where you're going. That's it. Right. And I don't want to yeah. have to, you know, wait or whatever. So hydrogen has that advantage over right now, electricity as well, because it can be topped off much more quickly than it's not going to take 20, however many minutes, right? Right, right. Yeah. And I actually have a more, story. You know, what's that? Oh, I actually have a story that I need to actually get published and it's just been on the back burner because there's other stuff I have to do more uh, first. But um, I spoke to an EV expert, an automotive journalist who who knows EVs inside and out. I had a complaint last summer when I was testing one of the EV test cars that it's just I didn't understand why there's not more charging stations. And I didn't understand why big oil companies aren't seeing a market opportunity. And maybe we could talk about this in our next episode, but I didn't understand why Shell and ExxonMobil and all those aren't working on charging stations, especially with the fact that it takes a little bit longer for an EV to charge and you go in and they make their money in convenience, convenience sales. So you can go in and get a snack or whatever. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more in the future, but it, it is kind of interesting whether it hasn't been more of an effort. And I, you know, what you part of it is convenience, right? You just want to get in the car and go. Mm-hmm. And that's that to me, it's really interesting that there hasn't been more of that effort to, to, to get, you know, more EV charging stations or more hydrogen fuel cell stations around. And I don't know if it's just inertia or money or, or what. Um, it's very interesting to me that there hasn't been more of an effort for that. Yeah. Getting, uh, getting back to the, uh, this deal with Honda, I don't understand what GM's role in this is going to be or like what they're going to get out of it. Like I get why a Japanese company might want to pursue hydrogen powered vehicles hard, but GM seems kind of like it's a, it's a surprise. It's like a dark horse where you're just like, what? What are you doing here? I, I never fully understand what a manufacturer. Is. Sometimes it's obvious, but a lot of times it's not. Why? Why there's a certain partnership? You know, what is what is what a GM get out of partnering with Toyota all those years ago to make the Pontiac Matrix Toyota vibe? Was it just cheaper? You know, because they're basically you know putting their name on a car produced by Toyota. Or, or actually, I think I have that. I want to say that was a Toyota first, not a not a Pontiac first. But maybe a better example right, is. Yeah. Maybe a better example is Toyota with the Supra because it's just a BMW underneath. But um, and that could be what GM's getting out of, getting out of it, right? That right. Honda puts the the time and the work in, and maybe if this succeeds, they can slap the General Motors badge on a on a, on a product. Maybe you put the Chevy badge on a car. It's a Honda a Honda yeah. underneath, or maybe they're going to learn some of the technology I'm... too. There might be some institutional knowledge there. We'll, we'll. But that is a good question. I'm very curious as well. I'm kind of glossing over some of the beats of the arrangement, which a lot of it's pretty vague, but um, it looks like GM's got like a lot of uh, potential government projects, including like mm-hmm. a fuel cell aircraft that they were kind of working on. So I suppose if they did kind of make like a major breakthrough uh, with this technology, I mean, GM constantly is trying to court the military. So maybe, maybe they're thinking like, Oh, this could be like a, a big leap forward. And um you know, GM's doing a lot of stuff to make itself seem green, too. So I guess that's also another X factor for them. They'd be like, oh, we're working on hydrogen stuff. But yeah, I feel like we've yeah. been here before. I feel like we kind of went around with hydrogen like a decade and some maybe even longer ago. 
and it just kind of was like the big thing for a little while and then everyone just stopped talking about it yeah and i want to circle back real quick to uh to hondas particularly and not so much general motors but what i'm curious about is is why is honda going this way when it's they're almost kind of following the toyota path where it's like let's not just go all in on evs and honda and toyota are both a little bit behind in terms of ev development right they've got plenty of hybrids but not so much pure evs and so you know i wonder if it's honda following toyota's lead i also wonder if it's maybe just smart betting whereas every other automaker is throwing their bags in the in the basket of evs and what if what if we don't develop EV technology past the point it is now anytime soon? What if we don't get range to a higher level or, or charging infrastructure or whatever? Then all of a sudden, it could be a problem. And maybe Honda and Toyota are just hedging their bets a little bit by saying, well, we'll work on EVs, but we'll also work on fuel cells in case that technology becomes the more dominant one in five or 10 years. I mean, so that, I sounds that's like, kind of that sounds like too. Toyota to me, to a T. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I wonder, if Honda, I wonder if Honda's following their lead. You know, what I'm, you know I, I just wonder yeah. if it's... Um, uh, monkey see monkey do kind of you know because those two companies are such rivals it's like the bears and packers or yankees and red sox whatever and you see one doing something yeah. and you think well, that might be the right way to go or maybe it's be a, a cost thing uh, like which would also explain the um involvement of general motors as well japan has a lot of hydrogen fueling stations based i mean comparatively to like almost all the rest of the world um so could, it also makes sense on like yeah. the domestic market but it's still a lot of money to spend um, on development for something that potentially could be like just something they could sell on the domestic market in California and yeah. a handful of places in Europe. And that relationship is already there with Honda and GM. I mean, Honda's first EV, the, I mean, the prologue, that is a Chevy, right? Right. Yeah. So if you're working together, might as well work together on a bunch of stuff. Maybe that's what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's, yeah, you know. everybody's always throwing something at the wall and you, you'll Perfect. hear something like, Oh, we're working on a flying car, which is always, you know, nonsense. But it's like, well, I guess at least they say they're working on it. <laughs> maybe someone's, maybe there's someone in an office working on something wild. This could be one of those things. Well, going over the notes Are you working? Yeah, I'm working. Okay. Yeah. Still doing, still doing the flying car. <laughs> well, going over the notes from the, the Honda event that I saw, the, the Honda presentation I sat through, the phrase economies of scale came up, not surprisingly. <laughs> so, you know, working with General Motors could just be simply a money safe maneuver. Yeah, it could be. Or maybe they just don't want to, you know, they need to keep the, you know, relationship alive. Yeah, yeah. I, it, again, I just, I'm very curious to see, you know, it, it, it almost feels like we're at a, an inflection point where, I don't want to repeat myself from what I said a couple minutes ago too much, but it almost feels like we're at an inflection point where we're kind of uh, sort of like EVs probably the next big thing over internal combustion. Although personally, I believe internal combustion will stick around for a small part of the market for a very long time, probably, you know, certain sports cars and certain trucks and sort of thing. But then I feel like the mainstream is sort of shifting towards EVs. That's kind of where the, the eggs are in, in that basket. But that being said there, I feel like, like, and I guess I am kind of just pushing the same point I had a few minutes ago, but it feels like Honda and Toyota are, are sort of looking at like, like, Hey, you know, Let's keep keep an eye on fuel cells because maybe this will work better, or maybe electrification won't do as well as people think it's going to. So, I definitely want. I definitely am curious to see how this gets um, handled going forward in terms of is this a viable technology as an alternative powertrain source? I thought GM's they had that military style Colorado that was a hybrid uh, hydrogen car. I don't remember uh, that to be honest with you. 
I think it was like 2015, maybe, okay, maybe 2016. That one has escaped my aging memory. I do not recall that one. But I mean, it, that the kind of uh, things they were promising were like, oh, you know, it gives us the ability to potentially store like a lot of fuel. Because I guess, I guess the hydrogen, ideally, the hydrogen can be compressed down and you can move a lot of it easily. I don't know. I'm sure it's extremely volatile and stuff. But um, I think there are based on what I remember them talking about, there are kind of like advantages that are allegedly specific to hydrogen. And if, if like you said, like if BVs don't really blow up and everyone isn't on board or the technology kind of doesn't progress uh, like everyone's expecting it to, I mean, a major breakthrough in hydrogen could be a game changer. Yeah. And they, I mean, they had, they had that, they had that Colorado or they had with the U S army at least. Yeah. Uh, Equinox, they had some Equinox, like about a hundred of them, like back in 06. Oh, I don't even remember those. Eons ago, right? And that's, so, I mean, they've been working on this forever, right? Boss has been walking past the office for 20 years. And they're still working on it, boss. Yep, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, so on that note, we'll wrap it up for today, and we'll come back. The next T-Tech podcast will be at some point after the Chicago Auto Show, so look for it in mid to late February. We will have probably a guest. I'm hoping to have a guest on who is familiar with the local market as well as the greater industry. And we'll be discussing the Chicago Auto Show and looking forward to New York as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you for reading T-Tech, the truth about cars.com. Uh, along with Matt Posky and Matthew Guy, I'm Tim Healy, the managing editor of the truth about cars. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading and check us out online at T-Tech.com.